Welcome into another edition of NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here, joined by Scott Rafferty. And we're, we're, we're a couple of weeks into the season now, and it feels like we're in our normal cadence of watching games. I know last week we talked about watching games we wouldn't normally watch, but it kind of feels like now that the dust has settled, we're kind of getting to our regular watching habits, at least on my end anyway. No, it does. You're right. It does feel like the initial madness of kind of the NBA season is over. But look, we have to start here today. We missed some big news last week. Um, people, the listeners may have noticed that there is a new vo- voice on this podcast, and that is because you are taking over for Colin Gay as the sound of NBA sound system. So big congratulations to you. It's going to be a big, fun season. This is the first time you and I have done this. But, you know, it, it, feel, it feels like Steph and Clay. Like, we have a lot of experience under our belts. We know how to play alongside each other. Um, no matter if one of us missed 60 games, 20 games, whatever it is, as long as we're out there healthy when it matters, everything's going to be okay. So yeah, congratulations to you. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. I really appreciate it. You know, I've got some big shoes to fill, but you guys trusting me uh, to take the reins moving forward gives me all the confidence that I need. And I have no doubts that you and I will team up and get that fourth ring like Steph and Clay did just a few months ago. Now, it's funny we use the Warriors analogy because, you know, we're about two weeks into the season, at least at the time of recording, and this is kind of that point in the NBA season when we start to take stock of some trends and really differentiate or try to discern what's real and what isn't. One of my favorite things that you do uh, so often in our group slacks where we talk about what's going on around the league, you send your small sample size alerts. You know, um, this has been going on through five games. This has been going on through three games. This guy is leading the league in this um, at this point. And when you take stock of the Warriors' small sample sizes, um, things aren't looking great on the defensive end for this Warriors team. You know, they're currently on an Eastern Conference road trip. They lost to an extremely shorthanded Hornets team and gave up 120 points in overtime. The next night gave up 128 points in regulation to the Detroit Pistons. So when you look at the Warriors and everything that we've talked about with this Warriors team coming into the year, whether it's the chemistry issues, potentially, um, the championship hangover, potentially, and now looking at their defensive woes, do you think that it's a bigger issue at hand or that championship DNA, that championship pedigree, it's something that's going to correct itself as the season plays out um, and the Warriors pursue that second consecutive title. I, I think there's definitely some signs there to be worried about, but overall, I'm not that concerned with the Warriors. I think when you look at them, when you take a step back and look at them, Steph Curry has been incredible to start the season, right? Like he looks like he's playing at an MVP level. Clay Thompson wasn't really available in preseason. It's pretty clear that they're going to try and ease their way back um, to him to getting into full form. And I think, you know, the way that he played in the finals last year is really encouraging. So I think he will get there. Whether or not he gets back to Pete Clay, I, I, I don't know. But I still think this is, you know, one of the best shooting guards in the league, kind of when everything is, is rolling. Um, and then beyond that, I think Draymond's had his moments. And really, when you just look at the starters as a whole, I should say Andrew Wiggins has been good as well. Um, that's how I know you, you are not Colin because he would have jumped in right then and there and, and corrected me on that. But I think if you look at, again, we're working with small sample sizes here, but if you look at their starting five, they said they have a net rating of 25.3 right now. Like They've been absolutely dominant when they've been out there together. The thing is, Steve Kerr has really been giving a lot of minutes to that second unit. You know, this Warriors team has a ton of young guys that we've been talking about for the last couple of years. Moses Moody, James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, um, even Jordan Poole. And they're getting a lot of burn. And I feel like it's tricky in the West this season because there are so many teams and it is so so deep 
you can't really have like too many bad stretches, I feel like. But it does kind of feel like they're playing the long game here, being experimental, you know, taking the load off of their their vets, the guys that we know are going to be able to play alongside each other, be dominant. Everything that we've saw, seen from the, these Warriors over the last eight years and really seeing what they can get from those young guys. Because um, if one, even two of them pop, um, I, I think that changes the outlook of this team dramatically. So I, I definitely think there's some stuff there to be worried about. Um, I, I just still think the Warriors are going to put it together all together when it matters most. No, I think that's a great point. And, and you talking about um, those guys, it makes you think about Jordan Poole. And, and our guy Kyle Irving over uh, Sporting News and NBA.com kind of wrote about Jordan Poole's trajectory that he's taken to be on the cusp of, of being a star in the league. And one thing that really stood out to me is that, you know, Jordan Poole got to where he is at this point because he got a lot of invaluable reps, you know, when the Warriors weren't that competitive, the year that Steph Curry and Klay Thompson were out um, and kind of prepared him for that year that they were retooling and were a play-in team. And then we saw what Jordan Poole did last year during that finals run and the role that he played. They don't win without him. But, you know, I, I think when you when you talk about that and you kind of apply that logic to the young guys on the team now, it makes sense that they're trying this earlier in the season rather than later because as you mentioned it's an unforgiving western conference and you can't really afford to fall that far back but at the same time you need to get these young guys ready to where they can compete and they can contribute uh, to a title run later on down the season and I think the biggest thing is that you, you right now moments like these or, or stretches like these remind you of the absence of a guy uh, like Nemanja Bialica as well as Otto Porter Jr., two guys who moved on uh, via free agency, Bialica going back to Turkey uh, to play EuroLeague ball and Otto Porter moving on to the Raptors. He's yet to take the floor for the Raptors this year, but um, I, I do think that you know having veteran presence, not to say that those guys are locked down defenders or anything like that, but having a veteran presence aids with defensive schemes and, and the cerebral presence that those guys bring is something that young guys just kind of have to learn with time and that's what they're doing but I think at a certain point in the year you're gonna have to cut your rotation back down to nine eight guys when it's time for that stretch run of the season and I think that is when we'll see a, a more accurate snapshot of what the Warriors defense actually is but this stretch to begin the year might throw the numbers off but I'm not that worried because I don't think it's going to define who the Warriors are when it's time to compete for a back-to-back -back title. No, it's a great point. And, and you, the guys that you mentioned, they're all plug and play, right? Like Otto Porter knows his role at this stage is crazy. He's a catch and shoot guy who can match up defensively with pretty much anyone. Um, Bielitsa, catch and shoot guy, can make a play off the dribble. Um, even, you know, Gary Payton the second, he's younger than them, um, hasn't been in the league as long. But, it, but a guy, again, who's going to, you know, harass the, the best perimeter player on the opposing team and then kind of either spot up in the corner or cut and screen and roll. Um, and then you look at all these young guys, like they want to prove themselves, right? Like James Wiseman was the number two pick in the draft. Like he, he wants to show what he can do. Uh, Moses Moody has a, a ton of potential. Jonathan Kaminga, whose minutes have been down to start the season, you know, a guy who has a ton of potential. Um, so I, I think that's, that's a really good point by you and that these guys, you know, you are giving minutes to younger guys, but they are also figuring out their role, figuring out who they are still. Um, and that's just going to come in growing pain. So I, I, I think, as I said, like I, I do think there are some concerns there. But I still think it, it's wise for these Warriors, given the stage that their vets are in their career, to kind of play the long game and really see if these guys, you know, again, one or two of them can really pop because that's going to make a big difference. Absolutely. And I think ultimately that's what it boils down to. If you're Golden State, you're not hitting the panic button just because 
in, in reality, you kind of know what the answer is, more or less. The, the answer is there. You, you, you trim down the rotation. You look to guys like Dante DiVincenzo to kind of reprise a Gary Payton second role. Not necessarily uh, as a defender because it doesn't necessarily have that defensive pedigree, but understanding that you can go back and really lean on the vets when it's time to flip that switch. And whichever young players stick, they stick, and you've got the answer, and you're back to playing championship-level basketball. Now, one team who doesn't have an answer just just yet and probably is hitting the panic button or they should be if they haven't yet on the opposite coast the Brooklyn Nets not a great start to the season coming off of a tumultuous offseason uh, the Nets defense has been abysmal um, and that's not even an exaggeration at least the two-week sample size is abysmal they rank dead last in defensive rating and, and saying that they could go fix that and have some some great defensive performances but as of now their defense has been terrible after getting blown out on opening night in a game where the Pelicans are resting their starters the Nets are giving up 30 points to, to at least one of their opponents every night from Luca to Pascal Siakam to John Morant, Desmond Bain, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and then rookie Benedict Mathurin is, is fresh in the NBA scoring 32 points on the road against the Nets. And the Nets are having a players-only meeting six games into the year, which is literally the definition of hitting the panic button. Now, they're not at full strength. TJ Warren and Seth Curry have yet to take the floor. Don't know if that answers their defensive issues, but... When you look at the defense and the small sample size and just how bad they've been on that end of the floor, are the Nets just doomed? Are they going to have to resort to the strategy of we're going to outscore you every night because we have some of the best scores the game has ever seen? Or or, or what's going on in Brooklyn? Yeah, not not great. The vibes are not great in Brooklyn right now overall. Um, it, it was funny that Giannis performance in particular uh, was just outrageous because in the first half it just felt like Giannis was kind of working on things that he wants to prove right like settling for jumpers all this kind of stuff had a quiet first half and then second half he was like all right we're losing we need to win this game I'm just gonna put my head down and go to the basket and he finished with like 40 plus points got whatever he wanted um, and I think that just speaks to one how ridiculous Giannis is arguably the best player in the league right now and uh, also how this Nets team is defending because uh, they are worst in the league right now they're giving up 121 points, 121.6 points per 100 possessions as of this recording. For context, because I did this with the Lakers last week, the Rockets had the worst defensive rating in the league last season at 116.4. Um, so this Nets team right now is defending a lot worse than that, and that's not great company for them to be in. And look, they have, like, not a good team. And they have, like, decent defenders, right? Like, Ben Simmons, when healthy, is one of the best defenders in the league. A guy who can legitimately guard four positions, you know, um, harass point guards, defend wings. Um, Royce O'Neal, good perimeter defender as well. Nicholas Claxton has potential, has shown flashes. But they just, they're kind of a weird team the way that they're constructed, right? Like they have no size. Um, Nicholas Claxton is not a guy who's really going to be guarding the the Embiid's, the Jokic's and everything like that. Um, and when you have him on the court next to Ben Simmons, that's two guys who can't shoot and that mucks up your spacing offensively. But the problem is if you use Ben Simmons as a five, he can do that in certain matchups, but he also can't in others, right? Like he, he's not a big time rim protector. He's not like a, a bruiser, right? Like we saw him go up against Giannis and granted, like no one can guard Giannis really one-on-one, right? But it was very clear that Giannis could kind of just do whatever he wanted against him. So it's, it's hard to, to ask him to kind of defend those types of players. So you just kind of had this like weird roster construction where you have to give something on either end of the court right now. 
And the problem is that they're giving up a ton of points and their offense hasn't even been that great, right? They're like middle of the road offensively. And that's despite Kevin Durant averaging 30 plus points, Kyrie Irving getting 30 plus points any single night. And I think, you know, the, the room for improvement there is like, you got to be patient with Ben Simmons, right? It, it's been over a year since we've seen him. He had back surgery. I think he's shown some good flashes so far defensively, like getting that, that what was a game tying steal against, against Luca the other night. Um, his passing, he's averaging, you know, a good amount of assists, creating opportunities for others. It's as a scorer where he really looks like he's he's kind of struggling to find his footing. Um, it's not just that he's not really looking to score. It's that you look at some of his misses around the basket and that they're pretty ugly. You know what I mean? Like right-handed floaters where he should just be going up strong. And I wonder if that's some of that's a confidence thing. Some of that's getting his legs back. Some of that's working back from a back injury, right? So I, I think... For them, it's one of those tricky things where, like, they kind of just have to be patient with Ben Simmons, but they also, like, how patient can you be? Because we just talked about the West. The East is not easy either, right? And with this play-in tournament, only six teams get a play uh, a playoff seed. And if you have another, you know, a, a rough 20 games to start the season, you're going to be playing must-win games for the last 30 games of the season just to make the play-in. You know, we saw that with teams last year. So it, it's, it's I, I'm not that worried about the, the Warriors. I, I'm pretty worried about the Nets right now. And that's definitely worth mentioning. I think you can't stress enough the importance of a good start to the season. You know, last year the Pelicans stumbled out of the gate. Uh, whether it was one and twelve or whatever, they had to claw back to be that team that eventually made it to the playoffs. But it, they had to work to get there. And I think coming into this season with the amount of talent on the Nets roster, they were expecting to be at least uh, around five hundred to start the year and not. Um, digging themselves in an early hole that they might have to dig themselves back out of as the season goes on. And one thing that, that stood out to me, uh, I talk about that Pascal Siakam performance. He had 37 points and in a lot of moments looked like the best player on the floor, even in a game that had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But what the Nets did, they went to Markeith Morris to be the guy to make life difficult for Pascal Siakam. And Markeith Morris has been a solid defender, always known as a tough player throughout his career. But is he going to be that defensive stopper? Is it a matter of Ben Simmons getting his legs back under him to be that guy for the team? Because I think that is going to be a, a key component of being a successful team. Because when you get to playoffs and you're, and you're having to slow down a, a Jason Tatum type or a Siakam type, or even if it's further and it's Luka Doncic or Devin Booker, you need to have that guy. Is it going to be Ben Simmons? Is it Royce O'Neal? Is the answer on the roster? How do they figure that out? And I think for me, how they figure that out, when they figure that out, and what they do from there it really determines how soon or how quickly I am to press that panic button for this Nets team moving forward. And the interesting thing too, right? You you, you mentioned both those guys. Royce O'Neal played with Rudy Gobert the last few years, right? The Probably the best defensive center in the league. Ben Simmons played next to Joel Embiid, one of the best defensive centers in the league. Guy, both guys who can protect the rim at a really high level. And when you have someone like that on your back line, you can put more pressure on guys on the perimeter, knowing they have your back, right? But this Nets team isn't like that. Like Kevin Durant can protect the rim, but he's not like that's not what he does as a defender, right? Um, Nicholas Claxton isn't like a big time shot blocker or anything like that. So again, whether you're playing him next to Nicholas Claxton, that can mess up your, your spacing and offense. But defensively, it's just a lot to ask Ben Simmons. Like, that's just not who he is as a defender. Um, so I'm with you. It, it does feel like, you know, maybe they make a trade at some point in the season. Maybe they pick someone up. But um, I, I feel like the roster they have right now, I'm pretty worried about it um, based on what we've seen through two weeks of the season. 
There it is. The answer is right there. A rim protecting big could maybe fix the biggest woes in Brooklyn because right now they're relying on Kevin Durant to do that. And quite frankly, there are much better ways for Kevin Durant to expend his energy, especially at this stage in his career. Now, the, the Nets definitely could have used a rim protecting big when Luka Doncic and the Mavs were recently in town. Luka lit them up to the tone of 41 points and and he just building on a crazy start to the season for him it, it's crazy at 23 years old he continues to place himself alongside elite company in the history books and this time it's Michael Jordan Luka is the first player since MJ to score 30 plus points in six straight games to start an NBA season and the thing about it is he's doing it out of necessity you know the small sample size is showing us that he's averaging you know shade under 37 points per game and that seems pretty insane to 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 do for an entire season but at the same time we kind of just need to expect the unexpected from Luka Doncic so when you take stock of the small sample size of Luka's big numbers and the way this Mavericks team is is really kind of constructed this season and the necessity of Luka to score as much as he is is he going to take home the scoring crown by getting you know 30 35 plus on a nightly basis or does it slow down a little bit I do see this continuing uh he was my pick to lead this league in leading scoring going into the season just knowing we're talking about a guy who's basically been averaging a 30 point triple double since he walked into the NBA and then now in the offseason they the Mavs lost their second best offensive player in Jalen Brunson right and didn't really replace him with anyone. I mean, Christian Wood is great, and he's he's had a good start for them, but he's a very different player, right? A guy who can pick and pop, make some plays off the dribble, but he's not a guy who's going to pound the rock kind of like Jalen Brunson did sometimes. So we're already seeing, like, Luka's usage rate is the highest of his career. Not only that, in Basketball Reference Database, the only player who has ever had a high usage rating over the course of an entire season was Russell Westbrook in his 2016-17 MVP season. Right, so we're talking like historic levels of usage rate for Luca to start the season because, as you said, they need it. Um, so I, I think that's going to continue. Whether or not like he averages, you know, close to thirty-seven points per game the rest of the season, I don't know about that. Um, but it is interesting looking kind of like how the way he is scoring right now. So he is he is shooting the best rate of his career on twos. He's getting to the free throw line at the highest rate of his career. He's also connecting on those at the highest rate of his career. Um, but he's also shooting a career low from the three-point range. So I, I, I wonder, I do kind of feel like there's going to be some kind of balance there where maybe his twos drop a little bit, his threes get back up to that kind of low to mid 30%. We know he loves that step back three. Um, but I, I was looking at the uh, the two-point field goals in particular because Luca, he's fascinating to me because he came into the NBA and there were concerns about his athleticism. He's not a big leaper. Um, but I, I also think generally, like we kind of underestimate, or we don't give guys enough attention for like DS, you know, being able to like shift, be shifty, um, the euro steps he uses and everything like that. Because Luca really has turned into one of the best finishers in the NBA. And you look at it right now, the list of guys in an NBA season who have attempted 15 or more two-point field goals and shot 60%, which is what Luca is doing right now. There's only a handful of guys who have ever done it. It's Zion Williamson, Shaquille O'Neal. Kevin McHale, Charles Barkley, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, we're talking about the greatest bigs of all time, um, you know, and Zion Williamson, who I think has the potential to be there, but he's an absolute freak in his own right guy, like a guy who is undersized for his position, but kind of just more athletic, more more powerful than anyone else really in the league right now. 
Um, so for Luca to be doing that is very impressive. I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain it, but it just kind of speaks to the ways that he can beat a defense, right? Like when that step back three is going, you can't stop him because he can post up pretty much anyone. You know, that, that magic game, he posted up Bol Bol. And Bol Bol is, is not very, you know, he's not a big guy. He's seven foot two. Luca took him to the post. Like he, he's not afraid to do that. He has a great floater, um, just a great pace to his game. And oh, by the way, if you, you show him a little bit too much of attention, he's going to throw a bullet to someone in the corner and it's going to be a wide open three. So um, I, I do think the scoring is sustainable. Um, whether or not that can lift the Mavericks to the level that they want to be, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical because I think whether it's this season or beyond, like you do need someone who can kind of take some stuff off of Luca's plate. Um, but I, I do think where, you know, the way that he started the season, leading the league in scoring, averaging 30 plus points per game, I, I think that's going to stay. There's two things I really appreciate that you mentioned there. And the first part of it is the, the three-point shooting piece, right? Like, even if Luca's scoring, I guess, inside the arc kind of regresses to a certain type of mean or he comes back down to earth, you would think that the three-point shooting is going to correct itself, right? Luca's not going to shoot this poorly from the perimeter all season. And if that happens, that means the scoring is either going to stay where it is or it's even going to maybe get some type of uptick if he continues to score at such a high rate inside the arc. And the other thing is the historical significance of Luca's scoring this season. And I think about... Other seasons we've seen uh, that, that have been this prolific, and it doesn't happen that often, at least in this day and age, but I do think back to James Harden, uh, average just a shade under 37 points back in 2019, and that was the year he had that ridiculous streak of games with 30-plus points. There was Kobe in 05-06 when he averaged 35.4 a game. That was, of course, the 81-point game season. And then the, the season that we're mentioning from Jordan, 86-87, he finished the season averaging 37.1 points per game, which is really insane given the junk of the career in which he was at. I believe that was year three for MJ. So same same thing could be said about Luka. He's, 30, he's 23 years old. Um, we'll see if this small sample size holds true, especially as teams start to scheme and, and, and try to defend and make life difficult for him. Um, I'm sure he's glad that Lou Dort can't guard him on a nightly basis because he spoke really highly of Lou Dort's defense. Now when I talk about defenders and elite defenders in the league, I have to think about a team that I am uh Pushing the panic button on early on, unfortunately. Kawhi Leonard and the LA Clippers. Uh, Kawhi has been dealing with some knee injury management issues, playing much less than we expected him to. I know we missed the entirety of last season uh, with ACL uh recovery but now this year he's missed I think four of the first six or five of the first seven games and as a result the small sample size shows that the Clippers have one of the league's worst net ratings now is this who this team is without Kawhi Leonard is their success going to hinge on Leonard's health and given his history are you concerned about that like there's so many questions that are kind of coming up for me with this Clippers team early on I'm pretty concerned no for sure and I think the thing is it's, it's different right like Kawhi not playing in one game of a back-to-back or Kawhi playing limited minutes coming off the bench like we saw him for the first two games that's a way to kind of ease him back into the lineup but the fact that he's going you know a week week plus um, not playing in games and we don't really have no one knows reason a particular reason why I I think that's very concerning because again we we talked about it with the other teams but the West is just so brutal that like I I don't know if you can really afford to lose like a back-to-back against the Thunder even though it's October you know what I mean? I, I think stuff like that might come back to bite you at the end of the season. So I, I definitely think there's reason for concern here. Um, you know, they've been absolutely awful offensively. They actually have, as of this recording, a worse net rating 
than the Lakers. And that's saying something because we spent 20 minutes talking about the Lakers and how bad they were last week. Um, so they're, they're not in great company right now. And Kawhi's only played two games. And um, Colin Gay actually said on our call this morning, you know, how many games do you guys think that Kawhi and Paul George have played together over the last four years? I went low. You went 70s. Um, Kyle, I think, went 100. The answer is 82 games over four years. You know, and I, I think they were good in those 82 games, right? Like they've had moments where you really see it and you're like, okay, I get it. Like the way they play on both ends of the court, they do complement each other well offensively. It's not like they're really stepping on each other's toes. It's not clunky. But again, that's only 82 seasons over four years. Like they still have stuff they need to figure out. Um, you know, they're a deep team, but they've got new faces. Like, how do those guys complement? How does a Norman Powell complement Kawhi Leonard, even though they played together on the Raptors? Um, like, this isn't this isn't like a Warriors situation, right? Where we can say, hey, look, the starters are awesome. We know how great they are together. They can kind of take 50, 60 games to figure out the bench thing. Like, the Clippers feel like they need more stuff to figure out between now and the end of the season if they are going to make a championship run. So I, I'm with you. I, I am concerned here. Um, their whole season, it does feel like hinges on Kawhi's health. So that that's the big one. But there, there's more stuff going on than just that, I think. Absolutely. And I think to, to clarify my stance a little bit better, I think it's I'm hitting the panic button on, on Kawhi. You know, his injury situation is certainly concerning. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm definitely hoping for the best for him and getting him back on the floor. But I'm iffy on the panic button based on, on what we're discussing here with this Clippers team, because they're going to have to figure it out sooner rather than later. And they don't have much time to figure it out. Now, now we're two weeks in and that doesn't necessarily mean that you just, you know, hit the panic button right away. But if they're still having these same questions and concerns two months in, well, now you're starting to ask some, some questions about how quickly this team can gel. I see similarities to the Nets last season that didn't have much time to gel because of Kevin Durant's injuries, Kyrie Irving's availability or lack thereof. And then the trade with James Harden just complicated matters more. But that was a team that had talent, you know, through the roof um, and they had things they could flex, but they didn't have continuity. So, you know, we talk about the depth of this Clippers team, but if there isn't continuity there and, you know, Norman Powell or Luke Kennard or Robert Covington don't really figure out how to star in their role, how confident can you be about, you know, this Clippers team, especially if they fall in a deep hole and end up having to be a play-in team? And you could say they're a, a, a scary play-in team, but, you know, we said the same thing about the Nets being a scary play-in team and they dominated the play-in game against the Cavs who were very shorthanded or without a key player and then they got swept so you know that lack of continuity when you're facing a team that's a top seed they're top seeds for a reason and that concerns me yeah and that, that playoff history isn't great either right like 2020 they had that 3-1 collapse in the second round of the playoffs that was concerning i think Kawhi was playing some of the best basketball's career when they played against that mavs in that first round series but they were also down what three was it three two in that series and it was, oh, they lost the first two games in LA if I remember correctly like that wasn't a great start and then Kawhi gets injured Paul George kind of finishes that series for them against the Jazz and they make the Western Conference Finals for the first time so again that kind of goes back to like you know it does start with Kawhi and his health there's still other stuff that they need to figure out so I, th I think that's wise though it's it's you know it, it is worrying about Kawhi right now right now the rest of the team give a little bit more time before you hit the panic button right 
And, and we mentioned, funny enough, we, we mentioned the Cavs in, in last year's uh, playing tournament, and he talked about the Jazz briefly in, in the playoffs year before last, or I guess in 2021, so last year technically. And the one thing that kind of ties those two franchises together now is one Donovan Mitchell. You know, last week we gave a shout out to the Jazz, who are still competing and, and winning ball games. And, and it kind of feels like, you know, after a summer of, of change this offseason, you know, the, the Timberwolves got the, the worst end of everything right now. Donovan Mitchell has looked great in Cleveland. You know, you, you mentioned in, in one of your actual small sample size alerts that we talked about, you know, via slag, Donovan Mitchell's looked great in isolation, great in pick and roll situations. And, and a lot of this is probably a product of Darius Garland um, going down on opening night. But I, I thought Darius Garland was going to make life easier for Donovan Mitchell. But, but now, as he's looked so good so far, you would think that things are just going to get better as time goes on, right? I mean, this couldn't be a better start for Donovan Mitchell in Cleveland, right? Like, he, he's putting up 30 points, 8 assists on a nightly basis. Um, as you said, like, pick and roll, he's leading the league in pick and roll scoring right now. Doing it, like, while ranking in the 85th percentile, he is in the 100th percentile in isolation scoring. Like, basically, all the numbers point to nobody can stop him right now. He's shooting off the dribble at a high rate. He's throwing down some ridiculous dunks over the last couple of weeks. Um, he, he's just been incredible. And I, I think... The important thing for the Cavs is last year, outside of Darius Garland, they really lacked someone who could create their own shot, right? Like there was just too much on his plate. And I think that's what was so exciting about this trade was that you're getting one of the best, not only scorers and a guy who can play off ball as a shooter, but one of the best creators in the league. Um, and, and I think you're seeing signs of it already, being able to pair this next to Darius Garland, just how good this offense could be. I am still very curious to see I feel like there might be some growing pains when Darius Garland comes back. Because again, Donovan Mitchell is a guy who's used to having the ball in his hands. He started his Cavaliers tenure off with the ball in his hands because Darius Garland has missed all but one half of the game. Um, so I am curious kind of how they play off of each other when they come back. You know, does Donovan Mitchell scale it back? Does Darius Garland scale him back? Know that he's, you know, going to have to work his way back up after missing a couple weeks. Um yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see. But right now, I mean, it, they're, they're like number one on my league pass team to watch, I think. Um, just Donovan Mitchell alone is, is worth the price of admission. But you have Karis LeVert going off for 40 points in Boston. Um, Evan Mobley is, you know, Evan Mobley. Jared Allen is Jared Allen, one of the best rim protectors in the league. Um, I, I just really like what they have going on right now. And I should mention Kevin Love, too. You know, we're, we're recording this after he had a huge game against the Knicks where it felt like he hit every three that he threw up. Um, but, you know, we, we talk about guys and, and props to Russell Westbrook for coming off the bench last couple of games. He does look more comfortable. But, you know, I, I feel like these aging vets get a lot of attention um, when they don't kind of adapt their game to what their team needs. Kevin Love is a guy who, yeah, he, he went through some kind of some growing pains um, or, or transition pains a couple of years ago. But he's really bought into that like six, seven man role for this team. And we can see how much of an impact he can make. So props to him as well. But I, I do love what this Cavaliers team is building. And I think even though, you know, it would have been great to have Darius Garland by Donovan Mitchell's side through these games, this, this trade has gone about as well as anyone could have hoped to in Cleveland. And a newfound appreciation for Kevin Love I've taken from this. This is a guy who really has redefined himself, as you said. And I'm sure, you know, it helps that he's on a pretty big contract. But at the same time, it speaks so much about the culture of him being the last remaining member from that championship team. And a big credit to J.B. Bickerstaff as well. By many accounts, this franchise overachieved last year. But in doing so, 
they were an attractive destination for somebody like Donovan Mitchell um, to, to come there and want to continue to win and win at a high level there. And, and I think that that shows in the way that he's playing, which has given me a new found appreciation of his game. He, he's been super efficient this year and, and fair or not, his efficiency has been a big knock um, on, on Donovan Mitchell throughout his career, which I, I think just speaks to the ways in which he's doing what he's doing, whether it's in isolation or as a, as a ball handler and screener all situations, it's coming within the the flow of the game, which still going to cause for some growing pains once Darius Garland is back in the lineup, which is I think is so important that they're getting out to this hot start because when they have those growing pains, they're probably going to lose a game or, or two here or there. But it's worth it if they're ready for the stretch run. You'll thank yourself for getting those wins. You know, at TD Garden when Mitchell and Lavert, Karis Lavert combined to score 82 points, you get a tough road win in Boston. Those are the wins you uh, really that pay dividends for you late in the year. That being said. I really think as we look back at this small sample size and really look back at how the season plays out, this is going to be the most efficient season of Donovan Mitchell's career. And I think he's going to thrive playing alongside Darius Garland whenever Darius Garland is back in the lineup. So thriving, efficiency, Donovan Mitchell, small sample size, that, that's what I'm seeing. It's a consistency with him too, right? It's not necessarily just like the efficiency, but it's it's the he'll go for 40 points one night, 32 points and 10 assists one night, and then he'll score 14 of 8 for 28 shooting. It's like, I think that's been the, the, the frustrating thing about Donovan Mitchell kind of to this point of his career. He's had one off night since, you know, these first six games of his Cavaliers tenure. Other than that, he's been absolutely incredible. So I, I hope he continues that. Um, but you made a great point about kind of like the early season and kind of stacking these wins up. The Cavs saw it last year, right? Jared Allen got injured. They were a top six seed in the East. They hit a rough patch, um, lost a good chunk of games. And then before you know it, you're in the playing tournament territory. Um, and unless you're healthy going into those games, you're one loss and you're out. So um, I, I thought that was a really good point. You know, these wins early in the season, even though we're only talking six games here, they do matter. I really couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly why games 5, 6, and 7 are just as important as games 75, 76, and 77. And that's exactly why we spent last week trying to fix the Lakers, and they're no longer winless. So I guess we should take some credit for the developments in Los Angeles with the Lakers we getting their first one of the season. Yes, yes, we fixed the Lakers. So so hopefully, you know, the, the Warriors and the Nets and even the Clippers are paying attention. Hopefully they're subscribed to NBA Sound System so they too can be fixed and right the ship before they fall in too deep of a hole this season. Hopefully you too are subscribed to NBA Sound System. Wherever you get your podcast, you will get these right into your feed each time a new episode comes out. For Scott Rafferty, I am Gil McGregor. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's NBA Sound System, and we will catch you again next week.